Hello, I'm Edward McBride, finance editor of The Economist. This week on Money Talks, it was the vote that sent shockwaves around the world. The UK has voted to leave the European Union. I will do everything I can as Prime Minister to steady the ship over the coming weeks and months. But I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. This does not mean that the United Kingdom will be in any way less united, nor indeed does it mean that it will be any less European. And we are determined that unlike eight years ago, Britain's financial system will help our country deal with any shocks and dampen them, not contribute to those shocks or make them worse. The announcement that Britain had voted to leave the European Union was followed shortly after by David Cameron's resignation as Prime Minister and by turmoil in the opposition Labour Party. Meanwhile, the news shook global financial markets so hard that some saw parallels with the financial crisis of 2008. While the Brexit vote's not quite a Lehman moment, it will fundamentally change Britain's future and Europe's and has intensified gloom about the world economy. The upheaval and uncertainty has spooked investors, sent markets gyrating, and politicians and central bankers scrambling. One of the most pressing questions after the vote is the future of Britain's financial services industry. Does Brexit spell the end of London as an international financial capital? Is there anything regulators or politicians can do to save the city? Later in the show, we'll be asking those questions to our banking editor, Patrick Lane, and our correspondent on the British economy, Callum Williams. Nobody's really said anything concrete about what they will do. HSBC said back in February that they could shift 1,000 out of their 5,000 London staff to Paris. There has been a sort of fairly coordinated response with the Chancellor, uh, as well as the G- other G7 finance ministers. So that has helped uh, somewhat to uh, reassure the markets. And Sasha Nauter, our European finance correspondent, will tell us about the savvy traders who've made money from the Brexit vote. Others have done well by going long on things that do well in turmoil, so particularly gold. First, though, our Buttonwood columnist, Philip Coggan, is here to give us an update on the market turmoil. Uh, Philip, there have been some pauses and reversals, but the pound has been the most obvious victim of the vote, hasn't it? Yes, it's been the biggest casualty. Um, Before the polls closed, it was showing some strength because people thought Remain would win. It almost reached $1.50. As soon as the results started to come in, it plunged and it got to a low of just under $1.32 at one stage in trading on Monday, uh, which was a 31-year low. It's picked up a little today. It's uh, over 133, but that's still a, a 16 cent uh, fall uh, in uh, only about 72 hours. Cataclysmic, really, for the pound. It, is there a sense that it's got much further to go? Are we all just guessing? Well, of course, inevitably, we're guessing. There are plenty of analysts who think it has further to fall. The risk here is that the UK has a very large current account deficit, which needs to be filled by foreign investment. And the UK has been a very successful. Uh, attractor of foreign direct investment and financial services and uh, manufacturing. Third biggest destination for foreign direct investment last year, according to one survey. Third uh, biggest in the world. In the world. And uh, 44% of foreign direct investment into the UK came from the EU. So with the UK leaving the EU, the question is, will that foreign direct investment come in? Of course, it will at the right price, but that's where you need to force the pound down to make UK assets more attractive. So there are people talking about 120 to 125 on the dollar being needed, and even people talking about parity. Because once you start to get to concerns about the pound, then, of course, people 
pull out from existing investments as well and you get a, a downward spiral. If the pound does fall, there's pretty much nothing that the authorities can do to stop it. Oh, that's a nice uh, cheery thought. Uh, what about the stock market? It's also been dragged down. It has. The biggest fall was in the FTSE 250, which is a domestically oriented uh, sector. It fell about 14% in two days. It's it's rebounded today. The FTSE 100, which is more multinational. So it has companies which don't have much to do with the UK economy at all, BP, Shell, that kind of thing, or the, the mining companies. Those have been pretty uh, robust. And it also has multinationals that earn money in foreign currencies. So in sterling terms, their earnings go up when the pound falls. Uh, but we've seen big hits to the banking shares, in particular RBS and Barclays, um, on fears that a slower economy means bad debts and, of course, uh, not much mortgage demand. We've seen hits to house builders on the, the same argument. In the short term, what the markets are telling us is that people are very concerned about the long-term outlook for investment in the UK. So it's not so much what the the market falls do to our wealth, it's what they signify about what investors feel about the UK economy. So markets are signalling then uh, long-term doubts about the strength of the British economy as a result of this vote, also long-term doubts about Europe. But presumably there's also just a, a more generalised concern about uh, the world economy, isn't there? Yes. I mean, again, Britain, although it is the fifth largest economy in the world, though perhaps the sixth, depending on where the pound has moved, it's not so much the decline in the UK economic output that might occur that is the worry, but that this is an extra risk at a time when people were already concerned. So we had the very weak non-farm payrolls recently. We still have worries about the strength of the Chinese economy, which is slowing down. Uh, and we've had pretty feeble uh, world trade growth in the last two or three years. So just at the time when the world economy was wobbling a bit, the last thing it needed was a kick from uh, Britain, though given the performance of our footballers last night, the kick would probably have missed. So um, gloom all round then. Thank you very much, Philip, for a grim picture. <laughs> Thank you. And to our listeners, don't forget, if you have any thoughts on the market outlook where you live, you can tweet us at Economist Radio or email us at radio at economist.com. Now, even if the markets calm down a bit, there are still big questions about the future of Britain's financial firms. I'm joined by Callum Williams, who writes about the British economy for us, and Patrick Lane, our banking correspondent. So, Callum, let's start with you. Obviously, the Bank of England has been very heavily involved in the response to the, the Leave vote. Let's hear a clip now from Mark Carney, the bank's governor, just after the Leave vote was officially announced. We've taken all the necessary steps to prepare for today's events, and in the future, we will not hesitate to take any additional measures required to meet our responsibilities as the United Kingdom moves forward. Thank you very much. Any additional measures required? What will those measures be? What, what has the Bank of England been doing and, and what can we expect it to do? One, it's likely that they're going to uh, cut interest rates. Uh, they're already very low, but they can probably cut a little bit further. And the second thing they're, they're likely to do, or the markets think they're likely to do, is to expand uh, the programme of quantitative easing. So, Callum, obviously markets weren't hugely reassured by that in the sense that they have fallen further uh, since, and especially um, the stocks of big British banks and big international banks that operate from London. What does the Bank of England have to say about uh, how it can support those institutions? Well, from Friday, it's extended about £250 billion worth of extra liquidity support to those banks. I think also there has been a sort of fairly coordinated response with the Chancellor, uh, 
as well as the G- other G7 finance ministers. So that has helped uh, somewhat to uh, reassure the markets. I think what banks uh, will be, or what sort of investors will be looking for now, is uh, an announcement that will probably come at the next meeting of the Monetary Policy Committee in J- July, that monetary policy will be fairly uh, loose for, for a fair while longer. And other than the fall in bank share prices and, and other financial firm share prices, is there any indication of, of stress in the financial system as a result of the vote? Well, it, uh, there is. I mean, banks' funding costs have risen since Thursday, so there is some stress. But when you take a slightly longer-term historical perspective, it's at levels nowhere near that, as was seen during the 2008-09 crisis. Banks are also much better capitalised um, and much less you know, reliant on wholesale funding. So uh, the situation is, is nowhere near as bad, at least in the short term, as it was a few years ago. OK, so the short term is one thing. Things things look under control in terms of, of not, not worrying about another Lehman moment. But what about in the longer term, Patrick? Uh, the vote throws Britain's financial industry into turmoil, doesn't it? It's not really clear that it will continue to survive in its current form. Well, that's right, Ed. It, it really isn't clear what's going to happen. But the, the main concern for banks that operate out of London, whether they're British banks or international banks, is an issue called passporting. Now, if you have a license to operate in any EU country, you can operate in any of the other 27 without having to set up a separate subsidiary or a separate branch. Once Britain leaves the European Union, then passports issued in London, in effect, will cease to be valid unless a new deal is struck between Britain and the European Union, which allows Britain to carry on as it does before. It's really not clear that that's going to happen. So the, the problems facing banks fall, fall into two categories, really, don't they? I mean, on the one hand, you've got the, the domestic retail banking industry, which presumably suffers a, a worse outlook if you think the British economy is on a downward trend, if you think their financing costs might rise when Britain leaves the EU. But then also, obviously, you've got uh, the city, Britain's massive exports of financial services to Europe and elsewhere. That in particular is, as you say, because of this passporting regime, under threat now, isn't it? Yes, that's right. I mean, just to take your first point, I mean, you can see the effect, um, you can see the short run economic effect on what's happened to bank share prices. So past couple of days, you've seen Barclays, Lloyds, RBS, all the shares are down by 30%. HSBC, which of course is much less exposed to the British economy, much more focused on Asia, down by just 3.6%. If you look elsewhere in the European Union, of course, this isn't good news for the Eurozone economy either. So you see, that's why you've seen, say, Deutsche Bank or BNP Paribas also down by about 20%. So there are short term economic worries. But there are also longer term questions, as you say, which are to do with this issue of passporting. So no one knows whether they might end up with a deal like Norway, which is the closest to what they have now, but it's still not exact. Even if they did, then of course, British regulations would continually have to be updated to keep in touch with European ones or to be harmonised with them. And if there were any change in British ones, then they'd have to ensure they'd be consistent with the European ones. Nobody quite knows what's going to happen. So what can banks do? What are they doing to try and cope with all of this? Well, it's a problem they, I think, are really just starting to think about in earnest, because don't forget, they didn't think this was going to happen. Nobody has really said anything concrete about what they will do. HSBC said back in February that they could shift 1,000 out of their 5,000 London staff to Paris. JP Morgan has said, again more recently, that up to 4,000 of the 16,000 people they employ in Britain could leave. But actually since the vote, what they've said publicly has been more reassuring. You know, we're staying, there are no immediate plans. That doesn't mean that people won't go eventually. What are the activities that seem the most vulnerable? 
Well, that's not clear either, but the, the two that are being talked about are euro clearing and another aspect of foreign exchange. Let's take the euro clearing first. Most trades of securities, whether it's equities or derivatives or, or whatnot, that are denominated in euros are not cleared in the eurozone, but are cleared in London. The, euro, the European Central Bank has not been happy about that because it, it's concerned that it might have to supply liquidity to, to clearing houses based outside the eurozone, i.e. London, if anything should go wrong. It tried to force that activity into the Eurozone. The British government went to court over that a few years ago and won the case last year. So the European court said that the ECB could not force this to happen. Now, it's possible, I suppose, uh, that with Britain being entirely outside the European Union, that European regulators really might want these trades to be cleared in the Eurozone. And of course, if we're outside the European Union, then Britain wouldn't have standing in the European court. So they could come back and, and have another go at it. At the moment, that's that's speculation, but it's one area that's being talked about. Another is that Britain has made a big effort recently to become a hub for trading in the Chinese currency, the renminbi or the yen. Now, it's made quite big strides into becoming a place where Chinese currency securities are traded and issued. And one of the attractions, again, is that Britain is in the European Union. So if the passport goes, then it might go to Frankfurt or Paris, which have smaller renminbi hubs of their own. Again, nobody knows where this is going to go, but that's another area of activity that's being talked about. So it sounds like the uncertainty is set to last quite some time yet. Uh, Patrick Lane, Callum Williams, thank you both very much. And finally, we check in with Sascha Nauter, our European finance correspondent. Sascha's joining us on the line from Germany. So Sascha, although Brexit was grim news for almost every financial market, as with any financial turmoil, there have been a few winners. Were there any savvy traders who, who predicted what was going to happen and made money out of it? Um, yes, Ed, there were. They were a minority, the majority of the hedge fund community who normally are known to take you know, daring bets. The majority sat on the bench for this one uh, and decided it was t- too close to call, so sort of reduced their risk beforehand. But there were a few brave funds, all reckless, depending on who you ask, who made the call by either shorting the pound, so predicting that sterling would, would, would fall as a result of a uh, leave vote, uh, or shorting uh, British uh, stocks, uh, particularly sort of stocks that would be vulnerable to fall. Uh, particularly far, such as in housing or financials uh, or travel. You know, we've seen EasyJet stocks fall for 20%. And so the funds that have done well, such as uh, Kristen Odie's uh, um, uh, London-based fund, have done so by basically betting against both of these. And others have done well by going long on things that do well in turmoil, so particularly gold, uh, which has done well, and in a lesser extent, uh, bonds, as people got out of equities. And um, so those are the main winners. Uh, there have also been some relative winners who didn't so much take a bet on the vote, who very honestly said, look, we couldn't call this, but we did know that there was going to be volatility. And therefore, they also took a fairly bearish position or hedged their position by saying, well, we'll go long on one thing, but short on another thing, such as the pound, which is actually what hedge funds were originally set up to do, but very few do these days. So a small group made a lot of money. So a few people did very well on the night, although obviously uh, vastly outweighed by the, the people who lost money on the night. But but what about now? Are there any asset managers out there who uh, are seeing some opportunity amid the uh, the general gloom? Well, there are a 
few brave souls who think there are indeed still opportunities out there. And in fact, that perhaps stocks have been sold off a bit too indiscriminate. And if you look carefully, you can find some real buying opportunities out there. But on the whole, I think the general sense is still one of, of, of relative gloom and wait and see. All right. So that's a that's a fairly gloomy picture, uh, as as we've been hearing all week. What, what does the man on the street in Frankfurt make of all of this? The man in the street in Frankfurt sends his condolences to Britain. There's a general sense of disbelief that Britain has really voted to leave the EU and a question whether Britain will indeed follow through uh, with its intention. So it sounds like ordinary Germans, like the financial markets, are hoping they're going to wake up from what seems a bit of a nightmare. Uh, Sasha, uh, very good to hear from you. Thank you very much. Thanks. That's all for this episode of Money Talks. For more Brexit coverage, you can pick up the upcoming issue of The Economist, as long as civilization hasn't collapsed before it's printed, or you can visit our website at economist.com. I'm Edward McBride. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye.